careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For said Jesus, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I wasn't given fair warning of those photos, I don't believe. Uh, <laughs> just joking. I love those memories, and uh, I guess the point is that I've known the Jollos for 30-something years uh, when we all went on beach mission together, and um, I really just appreciate such long, long-term friendships. And those years were, we were 15, 16, 17 years old, but there really was just this genuine desire from all of us, and... Um, I think, but there was something about Chris and Narelle from my point of view, and they'll be embarrassed for me to say this, but they pushed me and made, made me think more seriously about my faith than I had, and uh, you know, just extraordinary moments. We were just recounting some of the things. Narelle said something when I was 15 that made me go back on beach mission every year for 10 years. Funny, all my friends went over to Europe uh, you know, in, some, in their summer holidays. And I just didn't go because I had to be on beach mission because Narelle told me to do it when she was 15 because this was for the gospel. And I believed it, you know. So it's just extraordinary to have friendships for so long. Second thing, very quickly, before I start my timer, uh, many of you know that I've been a little bit sick. And uh, so basically I've lost the last four days. I was in an emergency yesterday, wow. Mostly just to find out if I was okay and I'm not contagious and I'm COVID free, but I'm seven out of 10 and the doctor thinks I'll be 10 out of 10 within a week. So keep me in your prayers. I don't think you're not gonna get bad stuff here or anything, but, uh, but keep me in your prayers because I'm, I'm just sort of running on a little bit of, of, uh, of desire, which is probably the best way to be, huh? Um, but it just hit me on Sunday night and it doesn't, I don't normally get sick. So it really threw me, I was like, what is this? How does this work? Uh, but thank you for your prayers. And uh, that outline you've got is basically me saying a week and a half ago, this is where I'm heading. And then before I know it, it's the outline. So
So the texts are correct, as, as I'm going to draw in on some of the texts rather than teach them specifically, but the rest you can ignore and write some things down as you go along. Okay, everyone with me? Okay, can I pray? Actually, I'll pray in a moment. I've got some thoughts first. The Bible, it might seem strange to say, but it's worth saying, the Bible is full of prayers and prayers, things said to God and the people who said them. Full of, the Bible's full of them. Which you might think is obvious, but it doesn't have to be. It could have been full of commands and people obeying God, doing their duty, but it's not. It's full of people praying to God. The patriarchs, the prophets, the psalmists, public and private prayers, individuals and corporates praying, men, women and children, some quietly trusting God with their prayers, resting, I heard you say, others railing against him, but in both circumstances to him rather than behind his back. Prayer is what you do when you know God. You trust him, yes. You obey him, yes. You talk to him. But those prayers in the Bible come in many forms and they shatter plastic notions of what prayer is supposed to look like in any given instance. But to pray is to be alive to God. Jonathan Edwards, you want a nice quote? Jonathan Edwards, the reformer, said this. He said, prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. I'll say it again. Prayer is a natural, is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. How interesting. To link prayer with breathing, to link prayer with oxygen. That is, praying is, is being alive to God. It's a good quote. It's a challenging quote. Some of you believe it to be true. You know that to pray is to be alive to God, but you find prayer hard. You're not the first. Not here in this room, not in church history, not in the Bible. Here are some reasons we don't pray, often said. We don't know how to pray. We're not in the habit of praying. Some of us aren't big talkers anyway. We became a Christian as an adult, and we have what I call FSL. Faith is a second language. And so you look at the people who do pray effortlessly, and you find out that they learned when they were younger, and part of you is a little bit, I wish I had that sort of experience, but you didn't. It's not what God has for you. How about you pray the same prayer for years and years and nothing happened? Some of you wonder if you're talking into thin air, we doubt he is there. But we live by faith in God, we do not live by answered prayer in God. We live by faith in God, not by answered prayer to God. And thank God this is true. Some of us are afraid that nothing will happen, we think God can't act. It's not as if we have to look very far to see unanswered prayer in the Bible and Habakkuk would be an example of such a person, so would Job and half the psalmist. Now you might have other reasons why you find prayer hard. This weekend is about prayer. 
what it means to pray, what happens when you pray, how to pray, and I want us to be inspired. Again, to pray. I want to be inspired again to pray. I want to be refreshed again. And what better place to go than the Lord's Prayer? There are many places you could go for models of prayer, and I could hand the microphone out, but I won't for time, to say, what's your go-to prayer? Where do you go to think about how you might pray? One of mine is Habakkuk, half the Psalms. Where do you go, Hannah? Where do you go, um, Paul? Three times I prayed, you know, take this thorn from my flesh, and three times I, I heard, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, my power is made. What's your go-to prayer? There's plenty of places we could go to, thousands of them, uh, but there's nowhere else where our Lord and our Saviour Jesus Christ said, Matthew 6 verse 9, this then is how you should pray. That's unique. Nowhere else do you hear this then is how you should pray. By the way, the word should, the English word should, isn't there in the original language with all its Western connotations of guilt and laziness. Note, verse 9 is not, this then is how you should pray, but you don't. Rather, in the Greek, in the original language is, this is how ye pray, this is how to pray, in this manner pray. Luke 11 verse 1, which is a parallel passage we'll look at tomorrow, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. I'd love to go there, but I'm not. He said to them, when you pray, say the Lord's Prayer. So that's the phrase, teach us to pray. In other words, show me the best way to pray. Give us the content and show us the heart. Give us the content and show us the heart. This weekend is all about that, teach us to pray. And perhaps the first thing to take away from the weekend is to learn to pray what one of the disciples prayed or said to Jesus. Maybe the first thing to take away from the weekend is the prayer, teach me to pray. It's a part of discipleship, it turns out, to pray and to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a, a person who learns from Jesus, sits at the feet of Jesus, is a person who says to Jesus, teach me to pray. So we pray to the risen Jesus, and you could pray this every day, teach me to pray. He, of course, may bring your mind back to this prayer. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, speak to us plainly now. Cause us to love you freely. Teach us to pray. For Christ's sake. Amen. You could argue that the Lord's Prayer has impacted human history in a way like no other set of 60 words. 60 words. And people think the Gettysburg Address is short. 60 words. Napoleon Bonaparte is said to have said, do you wish to find out something really sublime? Say the Lord's Prayer. Less than 60 words in the English, takes 30 seconds to pray, 
one minute if you're pausing between the lines and meditating, a weekend for your attention, but a whole lifetime if you want this prayer to shape your life. And I gotta tell you, like a lot of things, and I don't know why it's become so more, more keen in the past 10 years, there's something about being in your 40s and then moving into your 50s, where some things that you glossed over as a younger person become alive for you. And the Lord's Prayer has become stronger and stronger for me and go to, at so many points of life, daily bread, forgive us our sins, not this temptation, not that testing. Your name hallowed, I can see it not being hallowed. I just watch the news and think of these lines. When I was younger, it's like, why am I at this Anglican church that recites this prayer that Jesus sort of said, don't recite or babble? I don't buy that anymore. This then is how you should pray three things, and this outline is correct in your, in your booklet. Number one, choose private over pub, before public. Choose private before public. And then choose short over babbling. And then choose upward, not inwards towards self. Choose private over public, short over babble. Choose upwards, not inwards. Let's just break those apart and uh, see how we go. Firstly, choose private before public. In Matthew, the Lord's Prayer is embedded into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And the context of chapter 6 is hypocrisy. It's in verse 1 printed. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, verse 2, when you give, verse 5, when you pray, verse 15, when you fast, make sure it's not with the motive that others can see you, because when they say, gosh, you're great, Jesus says, congratulations, you've got your reward. Gosh, you're great is your reward. And it's as ephemeral as that, just whisks away like dew in the hills. Have I got that right? Oh, does it? Just like, <laughs> I'll find out tomorrow morning. <laughs> so even though praying in public is important and not excluded, and there are many examples in scripture, Jesus says, if you want to test your heart, choose private before public. Verse five, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now notice, by the way, as you look at those words, the seeing theme. Did you see it? Verse 5, the hypocrites love to stand praying in order to be seen by others. But down to verse 6, but your father who himself is unseen, that's important for those who battle with prayer. He's unseen. So it's not like a dinner conversation. Your father who's unseen sees what is done in secret. It's all about who's looking at you. 
others or God, and then who rewards you or praises you. What's Jesus warning about? Jesus is opposing prayer as performance. Prayer as performance is all about getting people to praise you. And Jesus says that's what the hypocrites do. The key is in order to be seen. It's the motive. A hypocrite is a performer. The Greek word hypocrites is, is an actor. It's the word, the, it's a word for actor. Uh, an actor, think Greek plays, wears a mask. So you're actually one way, here's me one way, and then I'm an actor, I put on a mask. So that people clap your performance. I've got the mask on so that people clap my performance. The one thing you want is for people to think you're tops, no matter who you actually are in private, but you put on the mask. Jesus says, if you're praying for effect, then you are an actor. It's not bagging out actors if you are one. But he's saying, don't be one before God. Jesus is not opposing any public prayer. In Acts, they prayed publicly in many other places. He's saying, when you go to your room, when you close your door, when you do the thing you do and no one is seeing but a Father in heaven, well, that's the truth about your relationship with God. What happens privately is the truth about you and God. Watch out if you go to your room and you have nothing to say to God. By the way, some of you might be like, oh, I don't know, it's been five years since you felt like you prayed with any meaningful depth and there'll be a, possibly a bunch of reasons for that. I don't want you to think, by the way, my comment, look, I'm happy for my comment to sit. The truth about your relationship with God is what happens in private. I'm happy for that comment to sit and the Spirit of God to do what he wants with you. That said, discipleship is a lifetime activity. And fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, for example, takes a lifetime to grow. So this might be a diagnosis, looking for a solution. I was getting diagnoses on Monday and looking for solutions. Some of these things take time. And it might be a moment to reach out to somebody because the next three to five years might look differently if you don't pray in private. Something beautiful is ahead of you or a reclaiming of something from the past. My father became a Christian. He has FSL big time. My grandfather was an atheist. I think my grandfather would have understood if my father had done drugs more than found God. <laughs> Just scratched his head if I'd done something wrong, that you need God. My dad became a Christian at age 35. And the moment he became a Christian, he began a church for, he got baptized as an adult to please grandma before his wedding. And then he decided to go to church every week. And my mother's like, why are you doing that? You know, we're already pretty moral. And he's like, I got baptized. This is what I promised. Baptism is going to church. So I better go to church. He went to church for nine years because that's what baptized people do. That's the promise I made. <laughs> Penny dropped sitting in a sermon as boring as the one you're currently hearing. <laughs> and the sermon was, 
ask and it will be given to you. And the minister, blah, 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 blah. He's probably given a sermon on a hundred times. And my dad's like, oh, so if you ask, it's given to you. Yeah. Okay, I'll ask. Boom. Comes Christian. But it took him many years and still struggles in many ways to pray publicly. But he's trying, or privately, he's still trying, 80-something years old. The only way we really know what's real between you and God is what you say when no one's watching but your Father in heaven. Jesus assumes that a private and a personal prayer life is a thing. It's a thing. When it's private, you can know it's truly legitimate. I love what Martin Luther says. Grant that I may pray. Let me start again. Grant that I may not pray alone with the mouth Help me that I may pray from the depths of my heart. First, choose private before public. Secondly, choose short over babble. Verse 7, when you pray, said Jesus, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Notice the hearing words, not the seeing words. Did you notice that? They think they'll be heard for their many words. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's already heard you. He heard you the first time. Don't have to twist his arm for the hundredth time because he heard you the first time. You might still want to be persistent, by the way, but not because you weren't heard. Babbling on is frantic prayer that looks passionate. Oh, it looks passionate and religious but it reflects lack of trust or rest sometimes. Because you're hoping to get the answer you want, but it ends up being a toxic mix of fear and control, fear of not getting the thing you really want and trying to control divine outcomes. Happened all the time in pagan cultures. The others, the nations, the Gentile cultures around Israel, as a lot like in Australia, there's a lot of wishing a lot of desires about my life, my family, my crops, my income, my well-being. We're not short on desire. Why we can't connect all these desires to prayer is a, some, something really interesting to talk about. Why can't we use the energy of this welling desires we have to pray? I'd love to talk about that with somebody at some point. Why the two can't be matched and met like judo, you know, using the power of the thing here to, I don't do judo. <laughs> a lot of desires about normal things in life, but there was no certainty about the gods. They were distant and there were many of them. And so you hoped, you wished that your God heard your prayers so that you could live safely, your family could live a long life, nothing bad. And so you visited the temple and you put up your shrine and you wailed and you slashed your body. There was a lot of chanting and mantras and meditating and fire rituals and bowing down in unison and prayer wheels and packing on the incense, all in an attempt to twist the arms of the gods or at least the god who was assigned to your patch. Bar worship was all about pleasing Baal. You can see it in 1 Kings 18. There's something to pray about. An example of negative prayer. In the end, Baal was a fertility god and the aim was that he sent rain on your crops. So send me 
rain on my crops. You know, I want my kids to go to this school. Make it happen for me, God. You know, that sort of idea. In other words, the prayers were about your wishes and the gods, while bigger than you, are still servants of your desires. But you had to find them and twist their arms. And I think in our culture, we're moving in the same sort of direction. Have you noticed, by the way, how often you hear, even on the news in Australia, even in the national broadcaster, you'll hear the words, fingers crossed? You'll hear it all the time. Blah, 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 blah. Fingers crossed, they'll say. And you're, okay, you know what they're doing. They're just saying, I hope it's true. But it's the language, at least, is an increase in pagan language, the kind of language that the gospel dispelled as superstition. And Jesus says, no. He's a father in heaven. Not a demigod in a pantheon of, of gods. You don't have to guess the door of the correct God among millions. Now there's one door, and this is what the gospel of Jesus gives us, a door to a father in heaven. Christians, I think, can actually end up acting like pagans when we think that God will hear us because we're especially something, especially fervent. You know, I don't know, nothing wrong with any of these things in particular, but if you think if I raise my hands, he'll hear me. If I have the right music, he'll hear me. If I have the bigger bands, they'll hear me. Where after 20 minutes, we, you know, uh, we finally declare that after having got ourselves into this state, that God is gonna bless us in this moment. We think that God will hear us because we're in a particular kind of Gothic building with the presence of a priest or a guru or a preacher or a pope. We think that he'll hear us if we pray 10 Hail Marys or five Our Fathers or the Rosary every night. There's any number of ways in which we think we can keep doing the same thing over and over that will be heard from many words. Eugene Peterson's The Message frames it like this. Frames verse five like this, or six I think it is. No one really knows with the message, <laughs> but this is good. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. God knows what you need. You can simply pray a simple prayer like the Lord's Prayer. And that's the first thing you note about the Lord's Prayer, really. It's short. Maybe that's the main thing, at least originally, initially. It's profound, it's not babbling on. He's your father in heaven. Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. He's your father in heaven. Third thing and finally, um, choose upward, not outward. And this is what I'm gonna explore tomorrow morning. These words, verses nine to 13 in deeper, uh, in deeper lengths. I think the gift of Christianity to the world, quite frankly, and to me in particular, and Judaism before it actually, is that there is one God overall and not a pantheon of gods. One God who deserves all honor and glory and praise. And because there's one God not in competition, he doesn't have to have his arm twisted. And he's not the servant of my desires, we're here to give him the glory. This is a gift because it turns us outward, not inward. And so we learn to pray up. We learn to pray his greatness up. May your greatness be known in all the earth. 
to mission prayer, by the way. We'll come to it tomorrow. May his name be exalted. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He'll exalt you. But that's only in, in humbling God. We exalt his name. He raises us up with him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, the one in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it gets down to us. We learn to pray down. We learn his greatness up, his goodness down. Give us today our daily bread, just the stuff we need today. We'll come to this tomorrow. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The prayer is not inward, but outward first. It doesn't deny, in fact, it's never inward. It doesn't deny what a pagan cares about, crops, real things of life, but trusts God rather to give us bread daily. I think the essence of sin is to be curved inward, even as you relate to God, where you kind of hope that God is the servant of your own desires. May my name be great. May my kingdom come, small as it is, May my will be done, important as it is to me. Christ died to save us from such an approach to his Father. In the end, it's all about giving God the honour, not seeking to twist his arm. In the end, it's to be like a child again, rightly relating to her father. A child rightly relating to his father. There's a famous picture that if I wasn't sick, I'd bump up on PowerPoint. But many of you will know it. Maybe the younger ones won't, but you're friends of Google. <laughs> Google JFK Resolute Desk, age three. Not now, later. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Everybody over the age of 40 or anybody who's heard me give talks on prayer before. There's a famous photo of JFK Jr., uh, who himself is not alive, but would be probably 60 years old if he was alive now. Maybe, that'd be right, a bit older. Playing as a three-year-old under the resolute desk, the president of the United States desk, and his dad's on the phone to who? Who knows? Doesn't matter. That's what's so beautiful about the photo. It's a great picture of access, where as congressmen and women, diplomats and lobbyists have limited access, let alone the ordinary person. They have limited access to the President of the United States. A son can skip past them all, security and all, to talk to his dad in a powerful place, in an Oval Office. You don't have to twist God's arm. You're a son of, the, of a Father in Heaven. You need to know the right person, have the right direction, and the right desire. This is what discipleship is all about in prayer. The right person, our Father, not our God among the pantheon of gods, the right direction, the one in heaven, not just another competing one on earth, and the right desire, hallowed be your name, not my own. What's the grounds for all this? What will stop us from seeking human approval from babbling on? What will be the new motivation for prayer? Not this then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. But rather this is then is how you'll pray. If you learn from me, Knowing the dynamic inherent in the gospel of Jesus is the key. In other words, trusting God. Knowing this dynamic that God the Father 
sent God the Son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might be adopted as sons, heirs, sons and daughters. He did this so that you and I could be adopted as God's child. You are a son of your father in heaven. You're the daughter of a king. And he's given us his spirit. Amen. You're a child of your father in heaven and it's said over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's new. Maybe not for you here today, but it was new when it was said. Revolutionary. It means there's a whole new dynamic. God is not distant that we should twist his arm. He knows what you need before you ask him. So this weekend you have the right person, more powerful than a president. He is the eternal father, the king over all. You have the right direction, not in the hall of Congress or any human parliament, lest our hopes be merely political. He is a father in heaven with control over it all. And you have the right desire, your father's glory, not your own. Jonathan Edwards said, prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. And when we pray like this, we are living as we were meant to live, created to live indeed. Walking with God in the cool of the garden, Jesus has brought us back to the Father. Redemption matters. That's why Paul can write in Ephesians 3 verse 17, in Christ, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, not with shoulds and guilts. When we pray like this, we are directing healthy longings in the right direction. We are breathing again, and that's liberating. So over this weekend, let's be inspired. Shall I pray? Would that be worth it? Do you want me to pray? I don't have to. This is not that I should pray. Do you want me to pray? Yeah. Jeez, not against, let me do it. Let me do it. Checking that I, what I do next is not to be seen. Yeah. Father, we are daughters of a father in heaven. We are sons of a father in heaven. A good one, a powerful one, one who heard us the first time, even as we persist in prayer. Hear us now when we beg you again to teach us to pray. And maybe it's as simple as beginning again with this prayer. Maybe this is all we have in us at the moment, and if this is all we have in us in the moment, the Lord's Prayer, then could there be anything more sublime? And yet even as this, perhaps this prayer is the only thing we have in us, I pray that um, over time a prayer like this might shape not just what we say to you, but who we are. We beg you for this in the power of your spirit. Amen.